Sports Central, in conversation with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. It's Money FM 89.3, and my guest on the show today is James Walton. He's a sports business group leader with Deloitte Southeast Asia. James, welcome to Money FM. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Now it's time to break down some numbers. Of course, last year was unlike any year we've ever seen before. The coronavirus has caused havoc in the world of sport for much of 2020 and into 2021. It led to the postponement in March of top divisions in England, Spain, Germany, Russia and France. The French League was in fact cancelled while the Bundesliga resumed in mid-May and all other leagues followed in June. All behind closed doors. James, what were the financial implications of this on football clubs around the the world well just on a year-on-year basis and obviously there's a few challenges here with some of the income being pushed out of financial years of clubs just because of timing issue but on a year-on-year basis basically we saw the revenue of the top 20 richest teams drop from about 9.3 billion euros the year before to 8.2 billion euros but even though I talked a little bit about some of the timing issues, you know, Deloitte's projection overall is that we believe that over the course of the two seasons, around 2 billion euros of revenue will be lost by these 20 clubs as a result of, you know, everything that's happened around the pandemic. And despite everything that happened in 2020, I mean, the clubs still, you know, went about their business as somewhat normal in the summer transfer window or the apparent summer transfer window. We saw Chelsea spend big on the likes of Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Ben Chilwell, Hakim Ziyech. But of course, they had the Eden Hazard money to use up. Manchester City spent around £100 million on Nathan Aki and Ruben Diaz. The latter, of course, has considerably shored up their defence. But some of the other signings, the clubs sort of struggled. What would you put this down to besides, you know, the financial implications? I think when we looked at that window at the time, when we were living through it and we saw all these clubs spending money at a time when there was employees being furloughed um, and a lot of talk about the financial situation around the world, I think the clubs were all actually of the opinion that COVID was passing, that we were through the first wave. And that there was, a lot, if you'll remember, there was a lot of talk at the time of spectators returning to the stadium very soon, things returning to normal. And I think a lot of clubs kind of followed that and they spent money because they felt like COVID had passed. And I think what we're seeing this January in many ways is a realization that the economic impact is here to stay and is worse than, than they thought it would be. Now, in terms of the clubs that did spend money in the summer transfer, window. You've mentioned, you know, your Chelsea's and your Man City. These are the clubs that, to be honest, you know, the level of match day revenues from spectators and things like that is a is a relatively small amount for them compared to some of their other revenue streams. And of course, they have benefactors kind of behind the club and are always big spending teams. So for someone like Abramovich coming off the transfer window ban and being back up into the Champions League, he was willing to spend money to invest. Manchester City, obviously, were trying to reinvent themselves and solve this perpetual problem. Most of the other teams, you know, while they spent money, they went around looking for bargains. They looked at teams that, particularly on the continent, that were financially struggling. French teams, you know, because of the way the French League was cancelled and the fact that their clubs were heavily reliant on match day revenue, and especially lower league teams as well, meant that there were some easy pickings to be had there. So in the summer, the mood was definitely the worst is past. Let's go find us some bargains and see how we move forward. Whereas the mood this window was very much that COVID is here for the long haul and we need to be a lot more pragmatic and a lot more sensible about how we spend our money. And just quickly, back to your point about the French League, we saw Paris Saint-Germain seal the permanent you know, transfer of Mauro Icardi. 
But besides that, they weren't their usual self because Paris Saint-Germain were used to them spending the big bucks. They went and got Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, just to name a few in recent years. What was stopping them this time around from, you know, carrying out their business as they usually do? So I think there's a fundamental issue for a lot of clubs. This window in general was around some of the travel restrictions, quarantine issues in terms of ability to scout players, in terms of ability to travel for players even to move around at this point in time. There was an incredible story with Gedson Fernandez going from Tottenham to a Turkish team and having to fly in an ambulance plane because he had recently tested positive for COVID and yet was still going ahead with the transfer. So I think there were some factors like that. But I think in the case of Paris Saint-Germain, they're also also being a little bit careful because, you know, they've had their fingers burnt once or twice recently on financial fair play. And they are approaching a situation with Neymar and particularly with Kylian Mbappe, where they are going to have to renew contracts and face a little bit of a fight to hold on to these players. Mbappe obviously is wanted by Real Madrid. Neymar is wanted by Barcelona, neither of which team has a great deal of money right now. But definitely they are holding their fire a little bit so that they are able to offer Mbappe and Neymar better deals in the next year or so in order to sustain those players at those clubs. We're in conversation with James Walton. He's the sports business group leader at Deloitte Southeast Asia. James, Barcelona generated more money than any other club in Europe, but still had the second largest revenue fall in absolute terms. What are the reasons behind these statistics? I mean, it's primarily match day revenue. If you look at a team like Barcelona, you look at the Nou Camp Stadium, you're talking about a stadium that holds, you know, 100,000 people and they simply haven't been able to have fans into their matches, obviously, over the last couple of months. So that's clearly a factor. Other things that we've seen, particularly in the case of them, I would say, you know, match day revenue was one thing. Broadcast revenue went down because the games, the final five league games and the Champions League games that they played actually got pushed into the the next financial year, that little kind of accounting thing that I talked about earlier. So some of the broadcast revenue will actually be recognized in the next year. And then they had a large decline in commercial revenue, around 45 million euros year on year, which is because they weren't able to do their stadium tours and they weren't able to do their merchandising in terms of all the stuff they sell on a match day and around the club. And on top of this, they've done their best to try to offset this by having uh, extending their shirt deal with Rakuten at a higher amount. They're still trying right now to extend their training kit and sleeve sponsor, which is Beko. But they're a club that really benefits from having a huge fan base coming to the stadium, doing stadium tours and buying merchandise. And that simply hasn't been an option. And what about their huge wage bill that's off talk in recent, not just days, but in months, it shows the amount of money that some of their players are on is actually, you know, ridiculous. And in the last few days, Lionel Messi's contract was exposed. Would you say that had, you know, something to do with this sort of decline? Yeah. So not necessarily to the decline of the revenues, obviously, that's, you know, far more on the on the cost side, but it, it does have profound implications and we're seeing it in their transfer policy. And the reason for that is because Spain actually has its own set of financial fair play rules, which go beyond the UEFA fair play rules. So the Spanish rules, basically, at the start of a season, a, a group of analysts 
set an amount that the clubs are able to spend on transfers, on wages, even on coaching during the course of the year, which is based on the incoming revenue. And the biggest problems, the biggest uh, clubs that have suffered from this is Barcelona and Real Madrid, because with the huge drop off in revenue projected this year, uh, which the analysts took into account, they were given a much lower budget by the league to work within. And this is why we saw both Madrid and Barcelona frantically selling off players at really bargain rates back in the summer window and yet not really buying any players for the most part. And there was a lot of talk that they were interested in players and they simply couldn't get them in. And and the reason was because of these special fair play rules that they have. So the biggest challenge they have, and I say this was why they were willing to let Suarez go for basically nothing and why Messi's contract has become such an issue is that they simply cannot bring players in with their wage bill at the level it's at. And, And as I mentioned earlier, if these teams are thinking about Kylian Mbappe and Neymar, then they even need their revenues to get back up very, very quickly to raise that threshold or they need to still sell off more players. Yeah, Luis Suarez absolutely thriving with Atletico Madrid at the expense of Barcelona. James, it has long been said that January is a difficult time for clubs to do business. We see a lot of loan deals, we see a lot of pre-contract sort of deals being you know, offered on the table. But this month has been like no other, with external factors having a major impact on the way that sport has had to deal with it, particularly with Brexit coming into play and the coronavirus. How hard has English football particularly been affected with these new rules and regulations in place? I mean, definitely Brexit is a, is a huge part of this. There was a fantastic statement from Les Ferdinand, the, the former England international, who's now a director at QPR the other day, where he said, we just don't know what the rules are. And we simply can't buy players because we're still familiarizing with the rules. Because the new rules on player visas, basically work permits in the UK, particularly in England, which came into effect from 1st of January because of Brexit, were only announced in December. And it's a point-based system. So in some regards, it's similar to the rules that used to exist for players from outside the EU. But clubs are still familiarizing themselves. English players are going to be more expensive in this situation. And the bargains that used to be picked up, particularly by the teams at the lower end of the Premier League, used to you know, pick up a player like a Timu Puki, for example or some of the players coming out of Greece or Poland or Latvia, the way the new system is set up, those players will probably not be able to come to English teams anymore. And it will be easier to get a player from a big five league. So that means France, Germany, Spain and Italy, uh, besides the Premier League, because of the way the point scoring system is set up, but much harder from the other leagues. But I think once teams have come to terms with this, I think the interesting development that we will see here is clubs are going to have to reorient their scouting network And I think we'll see them moving their scouts who are currently in places like Croatia, Eastern Europe, those kind of places, and instead getting scouts in South America, because these rules will actually make it equally easy for a South American to come to England as a European. Whereas in the past, it was very hard for a South American, whereas EU nationals had a right to play. So I think there is an exciting opportunity that may be coming down the line here to see more Brazilian, Argentinian players having coming to England early earlier in their careers, much like how they have done in Spain and Portugal in past years. But for now, all that these rules have done is really add to the problems clubs were facing because of the pandemic in terms of financial and in terms of logistical aspects of doing transfers by just putting a clouded layer on the top about what you really can and can't do. 
You know, some very interesting points that you've brought up there, James. You know, we already know that English players are at a premium now than ever before. And of course, with these new rules, it's just going to make them more expensive. But, you know, South American talent coming in, always exciting. But I do fear for teams in the sort of lower end of English football, they have a lot of uncertainties ahead. How will teams approach the next transfer window now with all these rules and regulations in place? We know how much they spent last season, particularly Chelsea and Manchester City. And from what we've seen in this transfer window, what's going to be their approach to this summer transfer window? So I think there's a lot of questions that go way beyond the football pitch that will have to be answered by that point in time. I think if we're in a situation come June, July, whereby we're looking at stadiums opening up again in some form or another and potentially having fans coming in, if we're seeing that sponsors are coming back to the football and there's confidence around revenue streams, then I think we'll see a decent transfer window again. But if we're in a similar situation still in the summer to how the UK is right now in terms of the lockdown, the economic problems that they're having, and it doesn't look likely that they are going to have supporters in the stadium, I think this time around, the clubs will be much more wary than they were last summer, and they will tend to try to only address particular needs that they may have, which will then lend itself perhaps to teams that have the ability to gel together and improve. And you would look at a team like Chelsea or Man United that are relatively young teams, Arsenal perhaps, that with an extra year of those same players bonding will be in a better position than perhaps some of the teams that have slightly older players and need to do some regeneration in the near future. And and you've got to imagine, particularly for the teams coming up from the championship to the Premier League next summer, they will have a decision to make around whether or not they're willing to gamble and spend money, which they will need to do to have any chance of staying up in that economic climate. Because we've seen this year what happened to Fulham and to West Brom if you don't spend enough money or you don't spend the right money, then you can have problems. Yeah, I still remember last year when, you know, the pandemic struck and it was just a very uncertain time, something we'd often taken for granted live football every weekend. Just didn't know what to do with the sort of free time that we had. But James, do you feel that the sport can recover? The popularity of football is is really beyond compare and there will always be a an appetite and an an audience, but it will be interesting to see what it does perhaps in the longer term to broadcast deals and to how football is consumed because more people will be getting used to seeing it on different channels. We're seeing social media companies and some of the tech giants starting to come more and more into the space. More questions around kickoff times because the way that football is being staggered right now in England is that the games are almost being kept separate so that you could watch almost every game if you have access to the right channels. And this is something we in Singapore take for granted is that we can switch on the TV and and have our choice of all 10 Premier League games on any given weekend. But in the UK, they would probably usually only see perhaps three games, maximum four, maybe one on a Saturday evening at five o'clock UK time, two on a Sunday, maybe one on a Monday night. And they're not allowed to live broadcast matches at 3 p.m. on Saturday, which is the, the main kickoff time because of the effect it has on the crowds at lower league teams. The idea that if you have a Liverpool a Man United match showing at three o'clock on a Saturday, then people will not go down and watch their local team play live. So it'll be interesting to see whether that does have any change on the dynamics. And of course, it'll be interesting as well to see in the stadiums, whether the stadium attendances, how they are affected, whether safe distance.
distancing rule come in beyond, you know, the kind of short-term measures we had last time of 2,000, 4,000 fans and things like that, that when the stadiums open up, particularly the older stadiums, which can be very cramped and crowded, both in the seating areas, but particularly when you get into the concourses and the toilets and the food and beverage areas, you know, will Old Trafford still be able to have over 60,000 fans in a new safe distancing world? And how long will that last? And what would be the implications of that going forward? So watching football, whether live or whether you are watching streaming or on TV, wherever you are in the world, including the UK, will definitely be a changed experience going forward. And time will tell how football reacts to that. Yeah, I remember the struggles of trying to watch the 3 p.m. kickoffs while I was university in the UK. It was certainly testing times. And, you know, over here, of course, we're privileged to watch all the games that we want, although I'm not a fan of the timings that they're being played because <laughs> it goes yeah. on very late and I have to come into work very early in the morning. So to have seven o'clock at night on a Sunday night in the UK, traditionally the last game in the UK is 4 p.m., but like the, the Brighton Spurs game Sunday night was basically kicking off at three o'clock Monday morning our time, which is really very strange. Very strange indeed. We've been speaking to James Walton. He's the sports business group leader at Deloitte Southeast Asia. James, thank you so much for your time and joining me on Money FM 89.3. Thank you very much for having me. It's always great to be here.